it's one of those situations. It was a movie. It went from zero to 100 like that. So I'm like, what's within the space of a second to me? I see two four by fours armed police jeeps coming into the compound of the hey. hotel. <laughs> I'm like, rah. Like, and then he's like, he's on the phone. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm inside with him. I'm inside with him. I think him. Like, what? <laughs> you my brother like so as he's coming in now he's like yeah he's over there like I said these are armed police they've got the strap the long thing with them and everything I'm thinking like God I'll come to that in Ghana <laughs> good morning good afternoon good evening people and welcome to 1000 Voices where we are on a mission to interview 1000 inspirational black Britons now today yeah is a special episode because not only Firstly, this is our first in-person interview. Hopefully, you know, if you're listening to it on a podcast, it's probably not going to make no difference. If you're watching on YouTube, uh, better visuals, better quality, you know, um, upgrading and trying to take things to the next level. So that's the first reason. But secondly, and way more importantly, I've got my longtime big brother, big cuz, Mr. Harm K in the building today. How are you, my brother? I love it. Great intro. <laughs> I'm good, cuz. I'm good. I'm very, very good. Excited to be here. Yeah, my bro. I'm very, very happy to have you on, man. Thank you, man. And me. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. I know by the time this comes out, uh, well, we'll be well after your one year anniversary, but I know right now it's busy times for you with the restaurant and everything that's happening, man. So appreciate it, man. And happy, man. Happy to link up with you, man. It's, it's been long. It's, it's been long. It's nostalgic, bro. It's been long. <laughs> so it's it's so going to be a good conversation today. Yeah, yeah. Let's just sure, say that. Man. Definitely, definitely, bro. So. You know, usually yeah, what I like to do, mm-hmm. 1000 Voices is about putting out positive stories, highlighting positive people, doing positive things. Yeah. And what we usually like to do is to start off, it's quite chronological, you know, so we go through upbringing and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. We're in new settings, we're going to try something very slightly different just to start things off, then we'll go into regular proceedings. Let's do it. So with you, and correct me if I'm wrong, but with everything you, you know, you do, you're doing your hosting, you're doing your, you know, you've got your restaurant business, you've got your Ghana escapes and probably other things as well that you're working on, you keep busy. But in the crux of all of it, correct me if I'm wrong again, it seems like it's all about promoting Ghanaian excellence, essentially. Yeah. Um, for me, I think I identified my purpose, I'd say probably 2016, 2017. Um, and before that, I was kind of doing everything. I think when you're creative, before you actually find your lane, you find yourself literally doing everything. And then I'd begun to streamline it when I realized that my purpose was raising the profile of the motherland. Right, great, perfect, man. So my first question to you was essentially, you sort of start to answer it, but the first question essentially is gonna be, what's your why? Um, My why, I think that each generation, I'm very generational and I pay close attention to the generation that came before us and the generation that's coming after us. And what I realized is that each generation have got their responsibilities and things that they need to do. And if they didn't or hadn't have done it, it wouldn't have put us where we are. So when I look at our parents, for example, many of our parents were born back home being Ghana. Their, I think their responsibility was to leave home as a first generation, as they, their class does, come here to give us an opportunity and give us options, whether we want to you know, use whatever we've gained here, whether education, money, going back home and building back the motherland, etc. So that was their responsibility our ancestors. Their responsibility was to break slavery. So when I look at it, I always think to myself, imagine if our ancestors didn't live up to their responsibility, would we, we will still be slaves. So each generation has to live up to their responsibility um, or their why, should I say, so that the generations afterwards can have a better life. That's it, man. Powerful. Thank you for that, bro, man. Uh, Sets a good foundation for the rest of this conversation. Mm -hmm. So start off with, uh, let's just take it back, talk about your upbringing. Can you just paint a picture as to what your upbringing was was like and where you grew up? I grew up in, so South East London, born in Peckham. Born and raised in Peckham, moved to Camberwell when I was probably about maybe five or six. But if you know South East London quite well, Peckham and Camberwell are literally next door neighbours. It's like, I'd say probably four bus stops divided. So it's all classed as, if you're going to say, the Peckham territory. Um, my parents being from Ghana, so two different sides of Ghana. So my mum's from the Fantiland, which is central region. Um, and my dad's from the Ashanti Kingdom, which is um, Kumasi. Now, even though my parents had me here, 
they made it very clear that I'm Ghanaian. So yeah, we go to school and you mix with different nationalities and stuff like that. But the reality is at home, they never shied away from the fact of that you are Ghanaian. So it doesn't matter what other people and their parents allow them to do outside. Mm. In here, this is Ghana. Out there, that's UK. <laughs> so unless you want to leave home at seven, eight years old to follow your friends, then at home, we're going to bring you up the Ghanaian way, which I'm grateful for. Great. That, that tough Ghanaian love, isn't it? Literally, man? yeah. And I think when you look back at it, I'm 34 now. So when I look back at it, you appreciate it so much. And it's something that we can, you know, we can always kind of just laugh and relate to some of the upbringings, some of the, the, the discipline that we got when we were growing up. But then it felt like they were just nasty people. But now it's like, oh, thank you for doing that because it's turned <laughs> us into who we are today. Yeah, <laughs> for you know real. What I mean? For real, for real. And do you, have, do you have any, would you say, like key experiences that you feel have shaped who you are today? Even if it's not necessarily like individual experiences, but just any key moments in your upbringing that you feel have been important to who you are? Um, key moments. Maybe when I, I remember I was, what's year nine? Like 13. 13, 14? 13, I was about 13, 14 years old. And my older sister, she used to be quite fine mouthy. Like she, even though she's like, she's a girl, obviously she's my sister, but she never shied away from anything like you bring trouble to her she wants to whether you're boy girl cat dog whatever she's on it kind of thing so she got in a bit of altercation in her school with a few boys and then she didn't even call me like the boys are like yeah watch after screen hours back in the day watch after something get you bloody blah, blah so she was like yeah okay cool i'm on it kind of thing so she's ready to go and fight them now obviously it being a guy that's giving her the threats her friends are like nah like he's gonna beat you up so they called me and i was in school so they're like yeah jeff you know these into bloody blah, blah blah kind of thing i was like oh my gosh here we go again <laughs> so i told one of my best friends one of my good friends who's still my good friends today and then he was used to sit next to a boy in class. That was a bit of a loud mouth in school, innit? So he was like, all oh, right, Jeff's sister's in beef. No, we all have to go down. So before you know it, there's probably about, you remember the old school buses, like, you know, where you can run, there's no automatic door, you just jump on. Yeah, yeah. The entire yeah. top deck is filled with my whole age. There's about 30 of us. We're going down to Campbell, it was, like McDonald's where nine out of 10 beefs got sorted out. <laughs> so we're going down there now. And then we have obviously outnumbered this guy. So he's like, okay, cool. So you think you're bad? You brought your brothers? I'm going to go back to my ends. I'm going to get my people. So they're like, all right, cool, whatever now. So as that happens now, um, there's someone there else that didn't like really like my sister. So she was like, oh, so she thinks she's bad? I'm going to call my brother. So now is an excuse for her to now get her revenge on my sister for whatever reason. So we're like, okay, now we've got two sets of beefs to sort out. <laughs> so we're like, all right, let's go around to the back now. So she calls her brother now. And... I remember we're standing there just waiting for her brother to come. And then as he's coming, saying, where is she? Where is she? Be my sister. And then he's probably about, say, 50 metres away now. And as he gets closer, Tev, I just see, he pulls out a knife probably about this long. And at this point, I'm just seeing red. All I'm thinking is protect my sister at all costs. That's all I can think. That's all I was thinking of. So I tucked her behind me. And then now I'm literally face to face with this guy and the knife. And then the knife is literally like here. Bruh. And like my mind, at that point, my mind was just like, I don't know what, you just think to yourself, how on earth did I get into this position? Because growing up, although I grew up in Peckham, I was never the troublemaker. I know troublemakers, but I was never the trouble. I was always just about having a good time, like, you know what I mean? Girls and stuff like that. So I was thinking, how on earth did I get into this position? And it's so funny, like I said, I was with 30 boys. 30 boys turned into three boys at the sight of a knife. <laughs> Literally like that. <laughs> and what's so funny is that when we were going to, even to say the beef, everyone's like, yeah, no, no, if anything goes down, we got you, Jeff, we got you, Jeff, all of that kind of thing, innit? Mm-hmm. So just like that, sight of a knife, I saw people running into, you know, in the school Morrison's now, but it used to be called Safeways. People running into Safeways, people running underneath cars, people jumping on the bus. Literally 30 boys turned into three boys, just like that. And at that moment, I think after that situation, what, lesson I learned from that was that you know when you're younger you kind of feel protected being part of a crew or a large group of friends etc my mum always said something to me she said to me that you're going to get to an age whereby you can count all your friends on one hand and when she said that to me I was like you're a bit sad in it I know everyone like I've got a lot of friends I'll never only know five people but like I said 30 people turn into three people so at that moment everything my mum that exact sentence that my mum said it made sense from there so at the age of 13 years old I no longer wanted to be part of a large group of people no more so everywhere that I'll go, whether fun fairs or cinemas or house parties, I'll just go with me and my one friend. Whereby everyone was coming with large groups of people. Because again, you look cool like that. When you're young, you've got 20 people with you. You look, you look cool, in it. But for me, it was like, nah, I had an encounterment which shaped me to realise that, you know what? There's no need to be with large groups of people. Firstly, you're going to be targeted. 
And secondly, if anything does go down, it's every man for himself. So that situation now, I will never forget it. And ever since then, my circle has always just remained very, very small. That's it, man. I love that story, man. And I can relate. Man, when you're when you're young and you've got, you're rolling with all the guys, the man them, you've got mm. 20, 30, man, you feel like that guy, in it, man? You're walking down the this road. This is it. You've probably got people what, looking at you, you're drawing attention. You feel like that guy, man, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but yeah, man, that's sick, man. you got that old school African wisdom yeah. in as well, man. They yeah. come to you at the right time. So this is it. That's that's sick, man. And when you're, when you're younger, what were the early career ambitions? Early career ambitions. I wanted to be an engineer when I was young. And that's only because I liked cars. I didn't realize engineer governs so much things. I just thought engineer, you know, engine, that's it. But engineering comes in different shapes and forms of IT engineering or whatever it is kind of thing. So that was my ambitions. I studied it in college for my first year, but I hated science. I didn't realize that science is heavily involved in engineering. So then I stopped doing that. And then what else did I want to do afterwards? In fact, when I was young, I wanted to be a basketball player. Right. Yeah, I wanted to be a basketball player. I was actually quite good. Um, but academically, it was engineering. And then once that dream fell away, I feel like when I got to second year of college, I was a bit at a crossroad. I kind of didn't know what I wanted to do in terms of career-wise. I knew what I liked doing. And at that age, I probably started promoting nightclubs and things like that. But that wasn't necessarily a career or wasn't deemed as a career in an African household. Oh, mum, I'm going to be a promoter. So, okay, <laughs> what the heck is that? <laughs> but in terms of what I told mum, I wanted to be an engineer. And then I would done IT in order just to get into university. Um, then when I got to university, I studied business management for a year, but I realized it was too broad and I was actually bored in class. Um, and then I changed over to do events and venue management. And that's what I got a degree in. And then when you was doing the nightclub promotion when you was in college as well, is that when, is that like the starting of the hosting? Is that, I'm guessing the hosting naturally progressed from that kind of work and then the events? It's, when I look at it, it was the starting, but in terms of performing wise, I remember, you might have been quite young then, but in, when you remember the family parties, when we used to do the family parties in the halls and stuff like that? Yeah, yeah. I remember they always play, your dad used to DJ. Yeah. <laughs> and he yeah. would always have a Will Smith CD. And I'd be like, oh God, play that so I can jump on the mic. And it was Will Smith, Miami, or Will Smith getting jiggy with it. And I'll perform that. I remember Will Smith getting jiggy was track number three, Miami was track number eight. So wow. I clearly. <laughs> and I'll ask, oh, can I jump on the mic kind of thing? And I'll be performing, uh, uh, do y'all feel me? Like all of that kind of thing. So that was like the sowing of the seed. And then I started doing it in talent shows. And then I got, when I was like 13, 14, I started being a garage MC. Um, then as I got to maybe, yeah, 11, I wanted to start in DJing instead of um, MCing. And because people remember me from Garage, whenever I used to DJ, they'd be like, oh, hold the mic as well, kind of thing. And so people would be, book me to DJ, but to host as well whilst I'm DJing. And then um, I realized that it was, it was too much to control. So that's when I then moved into the hosting full time. And then where did, when did Harm K come about? Harm K, I was saying this to my friend yesterday, actually. Harm K came from, remember back in the day, everyone used to have an alias. A graph, they call it a tag. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm not sure if they still call it now. But my older cousin used to be called Harmer. That was his name, like his street name. And his younger cousin was younger Harmer. And I was like, I'm taking a title, Tiny, and I need to be part of this crew in it kind of thing. So I took Tiny. So as I took Tiny, um, when I became an MC, I just handed into my, my resignation to them. I was like, nah, bun you lot now. Like, <laughs> I'm MC Harmkid, innit? Like, so I just made the name MC Harmkid. It sounded a bit more, like, yeah, a bit, bit more swag. MC Harm was just dead. So then it was MC Harm Kid, and then after I stopped MCing, it was just Harm Kid. Everyone around the ends would just be, oh, Harm Kid, Harm Kid, Harm Kid kind of thing. Whether just as, as an alias, not even as Harm Kid, a DJ or MC, just as an alias. And then as I turned 21, I was like, I'm not a kid no more, so it turned into Harm K. And what's so funny is that everywhere I go, I introduce myself as my government name, Jeffrey Barton, but many places that I go, people call me Harm K. Even our you know, uncles and aunties, they're like, oh, I'm gay. Like, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so it's that it's stuck with me. I can't get away from it. And I've gone into certain places, into certain rooms where I would never expect someone to call me Harm K, but they can know me as Harm K. So it's just kind of something that's just stuck to me. So I just sort of left it there kind of thing. That's it, man. I feel mm. like that tiny, this tiny, that thing, that's such a South thing, man. You reckon? I, I think yeah. it was a whole of London thing, though. Nah, not around my side. Was man. it not in the East? East? Not really. I feel like it's a South thing. Like when I used to watch all of them, you know, I went back in the day with um, them PYG videos and that. Mm. And they're all like tiny. Everyone was tiny in it. Yeah, tiny, yeah. Just tiny. I thought that was a South thing. Man. Yeah, like, it was. I, and again, it goes back to the being protected. Like, you know, when you get into a bit of beef, 
I'm going to call my older. It's just nice to say, isn't it? Like, oh, right, you got older. Okay, cool. We'll leave you. And you must have older cousins or something like that. So again, you just felt protected and you felt like you were somebody. Yeah, yeah, for real. Mm. Definitely, man. All right, let's talk the, the hosting side of things. Then. Mm. How did you get into that in the first place? Um, how did I get into hosting? I feel in the entertainment industry of, say, DJing, hosting, etc. kind of, there's a slim line between the two. So with the hosting thing, I think, when was the first time I probably got on a stage? I think whenever the first time I got on a stage, what I didn't feel like it was the first time because I was always so used to being in front of people, whether behind the decks, whether rapping to Will Smith covers or whether hosting. So it was just something that I always done. And even when we was in groups that will say have say drink ups and friends and stuff like that, I'll be the person to host the game. Like I'll be like, hey, right guys, we're doing this kind of thing in it. So hosting comes in different forms. So it's not just on the microphone in front of thousands of people. It could be three people here and I'm the one that's saying, okay, right, we're going to do this now. We're going to do this next, right? You get the mm -hmm. lights. That's hosting. Do you understand? So that kind of, I'd say, was always there. Yeah, there wasn't a time that actually started. It was kind of just always there. What's quite interesting is because with your hosting, it's like a lot of the stuff you host is you host a lot of Ghanaian events, you know, Ghanaian yeah, events or weddings, and yeah. et cetera, those, those kind of things there. And at the start, you spoke about finding your purpose when you were, what, 2016, 17, something like that? Uh, 17. 2017, so yeah. I'm guessing the hosting was well before that then. Nah, hosting, in terms of taking it serious-wise, i say I started taking hosting seriously when I found my purpose. Um, because what happens is that when you start something, you maybe start looking up to people that has maybe come before you, and then you try and do what they've done or maybe get jobs that they've gotten. So for example, say if I'm looking at John Smith as an example, and John Smith hosts um, Notting Hill Carnival and Glastonbury Festival, etc. Because I'm looking up to John Smith, I'm gonna now try and mirror what he's doing. But then when I then knew what my purpose was, it's like, okay, my purpose is not to be in Glastonbury. Do you understand? My purpose is to be in that niche there. And that's where I'm gonna fuel my purpose a bit more and do what I need to do. Mm. Talk about how you discovered your purpose. Um, so I'm part of, uh, and that's why we had to push back today, actually, I'm part of um, a cell group. So basically what a cell group is, is like just a group of people in church that have midweek prayer sessions and talking about different things in the Bible and life experiences and stuff like that. And I was with, um, it was like a business cell group at the time, a, a spiritual business cell group um, from my church. And I remember everyone, the, the role was to say what we think each other's purpose is. And I remember, there was probably about, it's probably about a group of say seven to eight people. And everyone was just like, oh, Jeff, Ghana. Like, they were like, and I was like, oh, what? Like, and they were like, every time you call Jeff's name or you think about Jeff, you just think Ghana instantly. That's all you think about Ghana. You know what I mean? So whether it's, I need something in Ghana, I need land in Ghana, or I need to go to Ghana, or I need this in Ghana, you just think of Jeff. And I never recognized it. I didn't know I was always indirectly promoting Ghana through a lot of my works. I did not have a clue. But again, so it was good to see that. So when I then started asking a few people, like, what do you think? Like, when you think about me, what's the first thing you think of? Everyone's actually like Ghana. Like some people then, when they see me who didn't know my name, will be like, oh, Mr. Ghana. I'm like, what? Like, and I've never taken that title as, oh yeah, I'm Mr. Ghana. Like you tell me, I'm gonna tell you everything you need to go about Ghana. But I didn't realize I was sowing a seed of raising the profile of the motherland. So then when I was praying into it, et cetera, I felt God telling me that that's what you're called to do. Because in 2013, I was going to move to Ghana um, and live there. And I was going to open up a nightclub, but I didn't. So I came back here and I was still just trying to discover myself, understand what I'm meant to be doing kind of thing. And then me not going to Ghana in 2013 and in 2017, I realized why I wasn't meant to be in Ghana. Because I wasn't meant to raise the profile of the motherland in Ghana. I was meant to raise the, motherland, the profile of the motherland in the diaspora being here. When we've um, actually five and go there, it's, that's, it's um, quite a good story, quite a sick story actually, because it shows the importance of having the right sort of people around you, mm -hmm. being in the right sort of environment. Mm -hmm. But if you take it back, you talk about when back in the day when you had like 30 man with you mm. and 27 of them ran away. Mm -hmm. I guess they weren't right for you at that period of time. Mm -hmm. um, but having the right kind of people around you, you know that saying, I'm going to butcher a quote, but it's something like you're the four or five closest people. What is it sound like? Oh, if you've got like five rich friends, you'll be the sixth one or something like that. Yeah, there's, that, and there's one that sound like, um, you're you are something basically you're the same as the five closest people to you okay. kind of thing mm. um and it just goes to show it's so important to have that you know the right kind of voices the right kind of people around you man, because they're gonna uh, you know there's a saying african saying that show me a friend and i'll show you a character 
That's yeah. the, that's the way better than the way I'm saying it. Yeah. So, and if you look at my friends, for example, um, I've got friends who are like they're, they're road. Like you understand, they're in the roads. They're still like, yeah, you demand them in it. Yeah. And I've got friends who are corporate working in the city and in six figures, and both of them are just as important and as close to me. And no matter where I'm going in life, I need those people because those are my accountability people, partners. You know, back in the day, say for example, you might have a friend that always wears his hood and his trousers down low. Your mum will be like, no, don't hang around with me, the bad boy. <laughs> yes. You understand? But I feel like. What I get from whether my friends who are road or my friends who are in corporate, I get stability in a weird way. Like, I don't believe that I have to have friends that work in the city with ties up to their necks that are in six figures. Do you understand? I don't believe in that. I believe in having, you're, you're close to who you're close to for a different reason. I believe that God places different people in your life also for a reason or a season. And a lot of my friends have, my friends who I call my friends, they've lasted seasons. I'm talking decades. Like when I look at um, my, my groomsmen, when I got married as an example, those people, two of them are the two P, two of the three people that stayed next to me when someone pulled out a knife at me at 13 oh, right. years old. So 20 years later, they're walking me up the aisle. You understand? Those are what you call friends. When I look at my closest friends, I've only got like maybe five or six close friends, that's it. And those are people that, again, they're my accountability partners. Not all of them go to church. Not all of them are, are earning six figures. But there's something that I get from them that makes me who I am. Yeah, well, and that's, that's um, very, very important to know, actually, I think, because not just because it's, um, there isn't a one rule that fits every single person in this world. Yeah. And whatever works for you, works for you. Mm -hmm. And if you're in a place where you found stability, you know, with the people that you're at and everything like that, great. You know, as long as you, you recognize that and it works for you, perfect, you know. Mm -hmm. um, that's great. And it's cool to hear as well that two of those people, uh, two of the three were with you at your wedding day as well, yeah, man. Exactly. Like, Real like, friends, man. There, there's, Real there's, some, there's some we used to sing in school back at home, man. It's like, um, uh, make new friends but keep the old. One is silver, one is gold. I don't know if I've never heard of that. That might be the East thing, where <laughs> <laughs> it might be my teacher freestyling. <laughs> it's just stuck in my head ever since. Yeah, so. no, true. Like I said, true friends, um, true friends ride with you like till the end. That's what I personally believe. That's it. Like you don't need to have a big crew. You don't have to have a lot of people. Like true friends, you just need one or two of them. For real, mm. definitely, man. With that nightclub, yeah, that you wanted to start in Ghana. Mm -hmm. Would you say like what happened? Was it a failed business or? No, so we got very deep into that. Actually, we got we got the well, moments away about on getting the the lease of the place. We had the name, the architectural design. So my my partner, who I was going to go into business with, he's actually someone. He's my designer. He still designs designs for me till this day. I've known him for donkeys, and we said we're going to open up a nightclub. It's going to be called Club London in Ghana. We're like, yeah, we're going to just make it the spot where everyone from the diaspora who comes to Ghana goes to like the it spot kind of thing. I was like, yeah, love it. So I was going, that was my first time I'd returned back to the motherland after 15 years. So just before I started Ghana Escapes. So what I then realized was that I went to Ghana one year and then all the clubs that was hot that year was no longer hot the following year. So I thought to myself, we're going to put a lot of effort into opening something that's probably only going to be hot for a year. And I'm leaving home, being the UK, to come to Ghana for something that might be hot for only just one year. I was like, that's not really sustainable. Like, I don't, a club just sounds like something I have to have secondary rather than primary. Um, so that was the main reason for that. And also me kind of then seeking to what I really should be doing. And that's when I found what I really should be doing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. On the hosting side of things, yeah. have you ever had any hosting disasters? 100%. <laughs> Can you talk about one of them? Yeah, I've had one, just one. And I think that one, it scars me to this day. That's why I make sure that I never take what I do for granted. No matter, so you can smash up an event, whether it be in a wedding, a festival today. I never, if the same promoters or just whatever it is, calls me back to come and host it, if it's an annual event, I never come with that kind of energy that like, oh, I smashed up last year, so I'm different. Because people change, the audience mm -hmm. changes, you understand? Things, you might be out of fashion in two years time. You might be a, a younger generation that you can't really relate to them, do you understand? Mm. But I remember it was the first time I had hosted a wedding. And I used to say no to weddings because those times I was heavily involved in in nightclubs, festivals, I was quite hype, you know, I did, you know, for me, weddings was just like, oh, I was just ties and just, mm -hmm. you know, mature. I was like, nah, man, it's dead. Like, I want to do hype, giddy, giddy kind of thing. 
So, but one day the bride or the bride's friend or something had always seen me in like clubs and um, festivals. And she was like, she wants that kind of energy at a wedding. So I told my manager, okay, fine, we'll do it. Let's take it on. But because I was coming, first wedding I've done, never done a wedding before, I didn't study the wedding game in terms of my hosting perspective to understand the temperament, the energy I need to come in with. I was coming with like, yeah, man, I'm, I'm K from the clubs and yeah, I'm gonna, of course <laughs> I'm gonna do good. I came, I just said, like, I was like, you know, I don't, I don't think you know if you've ever had a situation where you just feel embarrassed and you just wanna go home. Like I literally, the minute I was no longer needed which was probably about 8.30. I could have obviously stayed and hyped up the party part, but I literally just went home, like literally jumped in my car. I was gone. Like I wanted to forget about that day. I was hoping the videographer just, you know, lost his memory on his, on his camera because <laughs> I did not want to even hear about that. And what's so funny is that a good thing that social media wasn't as big then. So it weren't a thing, but I personally feel like it was me within. I don't think it was that bad from an audience point of view, but it was just, I like to make a mark when I go somewhere and I don't think I made a mark. I think the mark that I made of myself was that you were bad. And I know why it was bad because I didn't do due diligence. I didn't do the research. I didn't ask questions to certain people that I know who are already doing this to be like, okay, right, can you give me some tips? Like, what, what does this contain kind of thing? I wasn't going in, I was going in like, I know it, as long as I'm dressed apart, I'm gonna smack it up. Yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> that's cool. That's a cool story. You know what, yeah, it's, it's the first wedding as well. My goodness, man. I said no after that. After the, anyone else that contacted me after that, I said no. Like, I didn't want to hear it. And it's so <laughs> funny, it's like, cause afterwards, um, a good friend of mine who's a DJ who had done me so many favors at the time, his friend was getting married. And then like I said, this guy had done me so much favors. I could not say no to him. He's like, his friend's getting married. He can't DJ at his friend's wedding, but he told him that he's going to get him an MC. Listen, what can I do for you? And he said, okay, right, at least get me an MC because I can't find no MC. He was like, cool, I've got a person. He called mine. And I was thinking to myself, you've never seen me at a wedding. So why are you asking me to come and host your friend's wedding? Listen, please, Jeff, I know you can do a good job. You're a host anyway, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, cool. So I remember I started phoning up friends that I know are wedding MCs. I was like, look, give me some tips. And all my friends were just turning around saying, they were not giving you tips. They were like, you know, be yourself. Like, because you're going to go and try and be us if we give you tips. Just go and be yourself. I was like, okay, this ain't helping me right now. But you know what I mean? I'm going to take your advice. But what I just done was due diligence. You know, I took time to study the bride and groom. I took time to understand what they wanted, like what kind of wedding they wanted. I would ask the right questions when I was sitting down with them in a consultation. So once I had got all of those details um, and I'd done the wedding, I can just remember it was a Nigerian wedding and the dad of the groom started spraying me with dollars. And if a Nigerian sprays you with dollars, that means you've done a very good job. That means you've done a very good job because Nigerians, I say Nigerian um, events are quite hard to really shut down. So if they start springing, that means you've done a very good, dad was talking about me afterwards. Everyone loved it kind of thing. And I remember going home, I think so many people were, that's when Snapchat was starting to pop off. So many people were snapping that wedding and saw me on the mic. It was in, I think Vauxhall or Embankment or something like that, somewhere in the West End. Between there and say North London, where I drove back to, I'd probably got about three inquiries to do weddings. Rough. Just from people seeing what they saw on Snapchat. And that's when I was like, okay, right. Like, you know, it just really, and it took me back to primary school. You know, in primary school or secondary school, when you do an exam and you flop, you'd be like, oh, no, that, that, that subject's not for me. You just wipe it off. Mm. I was kind of doing that in it when I'd done the first wedding, when I thought I bombed. But it's like, no, if you revise, if you take your time, if you study, guess what, you're going to pass. Mm. And that's what happened. That's that's sick, man. Mm. And you know what? Yes, it's quite cool actually because you say it's your first wedding and mm. people will see you on socials or whatever and see us, Jeffrey's palm okay, he's smashing, like he's doing his thing, man. Like mm. just life at a party every single time and mm. all of that. Uh, but they don't know what's go what's happened behind the scenes, man. You don't know what you know, things that have gone wrong and everything like that. And it's just an important lesson to learn that mm. if you if you haven't make a mistake, if you mess up once, it doesn't necessarily mean at the end of the day, man. Keep going. It doesn't, but it takes a lot of willpower to get up and go and do it again. I'm telling you, Tev. So what, what, what made you get up and do it again? Was it my that, friend? That friend? That I owe only, I only <laughs> him a favor. Like, and that's what I'm saying. Like for me is like, when you do something for me, I really appreciate it. And the little that I can do back for you, I'm going to do it. That's the only reason why. If it was someone that I haven't done a favor, because I would have felt guilty if I had to note him because more than like a couple would have asked him because he was a DJ and I used to um, be in partnership with a, a nightclub at the time. And every single time I used to call him, well, I can call him literally half an hour and be like, I need you here in half an hour. He'll get down there. I can be like, okay, right, we didn't make enough money tonight. I can't really give you this. And he will always be like, oh, no, it's fine, man. I know you will nice me next time. So when you've got someone like that that's looked after you, it's like, oh, nah, I can't let this person down, man. Yeah. So that's why I had to do it for him. For real, for real. Mm. All right, let's talk the restaurant, yeah? 1957. Yeah. yeah. So I think with hosting, yeah, that mm -hmm. seems like it's, it's one thing. And even the Garner escapes, it seems like it's 
is one thing as well. Yeah. Running the restaurant seems like a madness. Yeah, it's nuts, decent. man. It seems, yeah. it seems like it's a no, hefty it is. bit of work. It's like, not like, seems, it is tough. It's a <laughs> really hefty bit of work. Well, what was it like setting up? Wait, wh- why did you, where did the idea come from? Did someone approach you with it? And then what was it like setting it up? No, I think in, so Garner Escapes, which is my travel group, which takes thousands of people to, Garner Escapes is basically responsible for um, raising tourism in Ghana. So we take, we've taken near to 10,000 people in the last 10 years to Ghana. Now, I remember when we came back after the first one, we had such a good time, met so many lovely people. We set up like a, a WhatsApp group and we got getting on like house fast. Like, oh, we need to all meet up, let's do a reunion. And I was probably 25 at the time. So I was like, no, nah, it won't make sense to go to a nightclub because we can't really catch up. Let's go to a restaurant. So there was a Ghanaian restaurant in um, Camberwell. And I said to him, oh, can we exclusively rent it out? There's about 30 of us. We want to come and, you know, just have it. Like, this might, yeah, sure, if there's 30 of you guys, you guys can also control the music, play what you want to play, because at the end of the day, it's not going to be disturbing other people because it's going to be yours for the night. This was, okay, cool. So we had our music playing. Some people are dining here. People are dancing here. And I was like, this doesn't seem like a typical restaurant. We've kind of, even though we've exclusively rented it out, Usually when you go to a restaurant, it's just you and your friends at a table, busting jokes, eating, drinking. But because now people are dancing, people are thinking, I was thinking, wow, this vibe is nice. I was like, have I ever had a restaurant? This is the kind of vibe I want, like a mixture of party and 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 eating and drinking, et cetera, and things like that. So then I remember I was even trying to, um, I made I then became very good friends with the owner and I was trying to get, to get into partnership with him. But again, I'm 25 at the time. He was giving me a figure saying, oh, if you want to get into this business, you have to raise up. How much did he say? Been like twenty five thousand pounds or something. I was like, boy, I ain't even seen two thousand pounds, bro. So that's not happening, kind of thing. But um, but I realized also, and it's I've got what I've realized over the years that I I I listen to what God tells me a lot of the time, not all the time, but a lot of the time. And I realized God was like, nah, I can't tie you to a restaurant now. This ain't the time now. Like you're in that stage where you're again out there kind of thing, you know, like meeting new people, etc. So in your seizing communities, you can't be in a restaurant right now. So fast forward now, in 2019, me and an old friend started like a brunch brand, um, which was just for Ghana, promoting high life and hip life music. So it was literally a brunch that will last for about five hours. You come in, you have a free course meal. We have DJs there. We're just playing hip life, high life music. Turns into a party. We give you whistles. We put some tassels around your neck. The flags are waving in the air. Just a Ghana celebration. And we done that. We're like, right, this is sick. And then two years into the brand, so that was was 2019. Then 2021, just after lockdown, we done one for the, um, the bank holiday in 2021, August 2021. And then I, we had our debrief, me and my business partner had our debrief and we were like, oh, what's the next step kind of thing? And then he turned around and said, yeah, man, we need to take this brunch to Milton Keynes, like not in them Ghana for her, like bear Ghanaians, they're kind of, nah, man, like we need our own space, like, because we had had a few situations where we'll have a venue, but then the venue will cancel on us because someone's now given a better offer to hire the place. So I'm like, nah, we need to be in a position of ownership. So that's when I was like, we need to get our own place. And then he was like, are you mad? Like, he was like, and but after 30 seconds after he said, I'm mad, he was like, I'm on it. Mm-hmm. And I felt God was saying to me, okay, right, that idea you had in 2013, like now it's time to go after it kind of thing. So I remember we were searching for different places to, search for different places. And even our agent who was in charge of, you know, sourcing us different places, turned around and said, to me, are you sure, man? You want to get a place in lockdown? Like, you, you mad? Like, people are, landlords are giving their keys in. Like saying they don't want their restaurants no more. And you guys are looking for one. Like, and you don't even know when we're going to come out of this lockdown because we got the keys at a time whereby Boris didn't even announce that, okay, right, this is going to last for two weeks. We were just in lockdown. So even when the tradesmen and project management, when we recruited them to do it, they said to me, Jeff, okay, so when's the deadline? I was like, I don't know. Just keep working because we haven't got a date when we're going to open because we're in lockdown. But again, that project, we're literally just walking by faith, walking by faith the whole way through. Wow. Mm. All right. Can you talk about your work ethic? Like you're running a few things here and there, and then you've got a family. Yeah. And I'm guessing you've got a social life you want to maintain to some degree as well. I think with the social, because what I do is heavily around the social environment, it, it, it's, it's a good thing because, you know, friends and family can come to my restaurant. Um, when I'm at my restaurant, I don't feel like I'm working. Okay, I do feel like I'm working when no one's there. But when everyone's there, I don't feel like I'm working. Um, but I've always been someone that just, and I think maybe I get it from my dad, and probably my mum as well, because growing up, I watched my mum, for example, do 
three jobs Monday to Friday, watch my dad do night shifts, working weekends and stuff like that. So for me, work has been nothing. I've never been afraid to work, never been afraid to get my hands dirty, never afraid to get busy. And I feel like I like staying busy. Um, I like it when, when I, I mean, when I started in nightclubs, I would like, I was working in, where was I working? I think I was working in retail. So I work on Saturday, I'll finish say about six o'clock, get home eight o'clock. Then I'll have a club booking, first club 10 till midnight, next club midnight till 1 a.m., next club 2 a.m. to 4 a.m. Back home, have to be at work 9 a.m. on a Sunday mm -hmm. and then have to be in college um, Monday doing my, you know, all my college work Monday to Friday. So I've always just been used and I like it. It gives me adrenaline. Like, you know, going up and down, up and down, whether going out of London, coming back into London, it gave me that adrenaline. So I've always just enjoyed working. And it depends on what I'm working on. If you enjoy what you're working on, you don't realize, right, like I've done 24 hours and I haven't slept. But mm. again, it has to, be, has to be something that you enjoy. Yeah, definitely does, yeah. man. Mm. Definitely does. But how do you balance stuff then? Do you, do you, yeah. I'm learning, I think I'm learning now. Um, I had, I remember, not too long ago, I phoned um, my my web designer who does the websites for my my travel group. And he's also a business owner. He's got several businesses, but he's also into web design. And I was phoning him to work on something. I like, do a few changes for him. But the first thing I asked him, I was like, I was like, bruv, like, do you ever get drained? Like, and listen, bruv, like, all the time. I was like, okay, cool. It's not just me then. <laughs> I was like, how do you deal with it? And he was like, Jeff, like, what I've learned to do is just switch off at 6 p.m or 8 p.m. I'll start at 8 a.m., switch off at 6 p.m. No matter how much, irrespective of how much I've got done or haven't got done, 6 p.m. is a cutoff point. They said, so what do you do after this? And this is what normal people do. This what's that? And he was like, oh, watch Netflix. This is and he's not even a big fan of any program, but he was like, is this allowed him just to shut down? You need that moment to shut down, I think. Because of the world we're living in now, you've got emails on your phone, you get inquiries and business through social media and stuff. So you're always working, and respectively, if you're sitting in an office or if you're in a factory, just being on your phone, you're working. So I was like, How so this is me, just turn off my phone, go home, and I literally just break and do nothing. But it's hard because you have that moment you're thinking, oh, I should be doing something. Where you should be doing something, but the reality is that you're gonna start wearing yourself out. I'm like, I'm 34 now, and I started to realize that as, even though I've got energy, and I feel like I'm at possibly the strongest point I'll probably be in my life. Maybe who knows what what you know how strong I'll be next next year or whatever. But I feel that I'm very beginning to get very mindful that the things that I do now, I'm not gonna be able to do when I'm 45. Mm. So it's like if I keep on going as hard now, I might not be able to do what I do now at 40. So I'm just mindful that I need to start taking time and delegating. What I found hard in my early days of business was delegating because when you started something, everything I've started, I've started from scratch. I've never bought a business and kind of continued it. I've gone in like at the deep end, like, okay, right, cool. Let's register this. Let's get this sorted. Let's get this in place. Let's get this in place. So for me, it's like then getting someone else to like be like, okay, well, you're going to be in charge of this. I'm like, ah, you're not doing it right. Like, so I will end up doing it because someone's up, but then I've had to get mentorship. I've had to go out and seek the right mentors to assist me. And they've given me advice that, like, look, as long as someone's doing something 60% of the way you would do it, that's a good person. I'm like 60%. But I've had mm -hmm. to learn that maybe my, not, my way is not the best way. Sometimes you feel like, because you've been doing it, you started it, you're always the best way and the only way. And I've realized that no, it's not the case. Yeah, <laughs> 60%. <laughs> <laughs> like, you, like, they were like 60%, like, because then the, they were basically saying is that, people are gonna do it and the 60% is because they're gonna finish it. How they do it is nothing like how you do it. But then who made you captain of the ship to say, my way is the best way? Which is a piece of a hard pill for me to swallow. No, no, for real. Mm. I think there's only so much you can do by yourself, man. This is it. And even, even with me, I, I, I struggle with that, man. You know, you got something, you start yourself, it's like, it's like your baby, man. Yeah. You don't wanna, you got your own vision. Yeah. You know how, you know how in your eyes, how everything is done perfectly. Yeah. You don't want no one to come and do no. Yeah. Nothing substandard, nothing. I mean, look at this podcast. Me. Imagine you then brought in a presenter to then run this podcast and they're just sitting here like this, they're away from the back. Like, you're going to be looking at it thinking, oh my gosh, all the 20 plus episodes I've done in season one. And this is how someone's like, you feel, you feel like the ship is just doing this. Do you understand? Something that you've got like this is just doing that kind of thing. And it's a hard pill to swallow. It's a hard pill to swallow. So it's something that I'm still learning because again, like I said, I've got, a lot of, I've got family, I've got responsibilities. I've got things outside of work that I also need to pay a lot of time to. But I'm also just looking at it as, I want to retire early. 
I've always said by the age of 40, I want to be in Ghana and choosing to work, not having to work. I want to get to that point whereby many of our parents, they want to go back to Ghana when they're 70, 75. Mm -hmm. I'm like, no, nah, I'm living my best life in Ghana in terms of my young, my healthiest life when I'm in Ghana from 40 upwards. So that's why I rather just work as hard as possible now. And then God willing, by the age of 40, 42, I can be like, okay, right, all of that now, I can reap some of the things that I sowed. That's sick, man. Mm -hmm. That's sick. All right, bro, man, let's reflect, yeah? Mm -hmm. In, what would you say... What's the one, one A lesson, I would say, that you've learned recently, let's say in the last year or so? Lesson, lesson. Yeah, lesson. a life lesson you've learned in the last year. Just get things put down on paper. Contracts. Contracts, put things down on paper. It could be the, the smallest thing, but how things are in my head could be different in your head. Like, I'll give you a prime example. Like, today, um, started at, you told me to get here at 8 o'clock. Or you said eight o'clock. You didn't say get mm. eight. You said eight o'clock. It's eight till nine. The slot is four, yeah? In my head, I could have been like, okay, as long as I'm in the area at eight o'clock, it's fine. Mm. Do you understand? Mm. But your thing, you could be thinking, nah, like, he should have been here getting mic'd up from <laughs> 7.45. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to use an example as flights. When you're going somewhere, they say there's um, a check-in in time and there's a boarding time and there's a gate closing time. They stipulate that all on the ticket. They don't just stipulate... 1.30 and that's it. Here's your ticket. Because then everyone will be arguing, <laughs> thinking, well, I've got here at 25 past, like doing check-in, you're telling me the gate's closed. Do you understand? Mm. But everyone that's going away knows that because they can see if it closes at, if the flight takes off at 1.30, it takes a while to get people on, to put your seatbelts on. It takes off at 1.30. But the baggage, that process, all of that, you checking in, checking your passport, getting stamped, going through customs, that takes about an hour and a half. So we have to close that off at a certain time. So what we do, we stipulate that to you in all the terms and conditions and the correspondence. But again, sometimes when you're doing things, business, you just think, oh yeah, man, you should know, man. Like, blah, blah. And then mm -hmm. man will be working up here at half past eight, quarter past. <laughs> and you're just thinking to yourself, are you dumb? Like, <laughs> you understand? Yeah. So for me, that's what I've learned is just document things. Um, and it's not even from a, how would I say, to, 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 to belittle anyone, but it's just so that no one can argue over documentation because it was in black and white in front of you. Case closed. That's one lesson I've learned. No, I like that. I like mm. that a lot, man. Definitely something I'll take on board, mm. man. Um, all right, cool. If you could live one day of your life all over again, yeah. what day would that be and why? I might say my... Uh, possibly my traditional wedding or traditional engagement. Yeah, I'd probably say my traditional wedding. And why I'd say that is because not just for... Obviously, it's, 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 a, it's a, a, a Ghanaian way of getting married, but it was more so when you see what two people can do to families in terms of marriage brings people closer. Um, and when I look back at my traditional marriage, I had my family, how it's set up, my family was here, my wife's family was on the left and we're sitting here and everyone's just there. Like there's several things that happen throughout the ceremony, like such as they give you advice, they're telling you things. And I'm just listening to elder people who have maybe gone through difficulties in their marriage. Because you know, when you're young, you just look at auntie, uncle, mom, dad, everyone's perfect. But you know, when it's now we're adults and they are 60, 70, they're giving you advice based on their experiences. And that moment mm. I was like, you're talking from a place of experience, wisdom, but a place of, I got it wrong. So I'm trying to give you that advice not to get it wrong. That was one element. Second element, having all the people around and you think, wow, this only started for me just asking someone for their number. <laughs> and now there's 600 people here, all in support of what we're about to do. And then you realize that people are kind of just, they're counting on you, they're right. And I'm not just talking about people that are younger than me looking up at you. You're talking, I'm talking about people that are older than me looking, do you understand? Like, I remember like uncles are there like saying, right, like, yeah, I'm proud of you. Like, yeah, man, I look up to thinking, right, like, mm. what? So all of that, you realize, that, okay, all of this upbringing, all of this discipline and stuff like that, this is what it was for. So it was basically a time now saying, okay, right now, flee the nest. Everything that we've sowed in you from an auntie, mum, dad perspective, take that and go into the world and be great. So that's why I'll say that. That's it, man. Mm. That's it. And if there was someone else that wanted to get into similar line of work as you, mm. and you're working on a few different things here and there, but hosting entrepreneurship, etc. Mm. What advice would you give them? Ask me about the things that you don't see on social media. Um, because what I've found is that I've seen several people, I've seen several people 
wanted to, I'll give you Ghana Escapes as an example. Ghana Escapes is, takes people to Ghana. It looks as if we get paid to go overseas, party and have a flip in the time. Whereby you don't see the five getting in from the nightclubs at 5 a.m., having to organize coaches at half past five, getting on a coach to Kumasi at 6.30, getting no sleep, traveling all the way to Kumasi on a coach that takes five hours. Coming, You don't see that side. So I remember so many people when I started, would be like, oh yeah, I'd love to be a rep, I'd love to be a rep. Cool, come be a rep. But when they realized that, rah, like, so we, we're not sleeping like today. I was like, yeah, like, that's, is that so? Don't just, you, you, they want to get involved because you go onto the social media, you see thousands of followers, people hashtagging, yeah, Ghana sick, Ghana escapes, blah, 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 cool. But the work that goes behind it, that's what you don't see. Like winter, like we go to Ghana in December. So we're having meetings, a lot of our heavy meet, back-to-back meetings are in November. You're coming out your house and now sitting in meetings, get back on a train home. We have to do that to be out in the sunshine. Do you understand? So I always say, ask me about the things you don't see on social media or ask me about the difficulties and then decide if you want to get, because if I tell you half the stories that have happened to me in Ghana from doing Ghana Escapes, people wouldn't even want to start a travel group. Mm-hmm. Have you got time for a very quick story? Okay, yeah, very quick one. Um, my tour, my head of tours manager, um, I remember it was my first year, um, he was employed to come in for us and then the agreement was that he gets, he would give us a price on what his services is gonna cost. We'll give him 50% upfront and then the outstanding balance, we'll give it to him on the last day. He was happy with that. Long and short, he turned around and said, he's gonna come for the money the day before we're gonna leave. But I felt there's a level of, he didn't trust, he didn't know us, he didn't trust us. He might be thinking, oh, these guys are just gonna flee. Bear in mind, you're taking us to the airport or the day we're leaving, but again, whatever. So he said, he's gonna come then. It's okay, fine, come at 11 p.m. in the night so me and my business partner can sit down with you. And this is okay, that's not a problem. So 11 a.m., I'm going down to breakfast and I see him there. I'm like, what are you doing here? So I thought maybe he didn't understand. Maybe it was just a language barrier. So I'm like, oh, what are you doing here? And he turned around and said, oh, no, free today. I thought I'd just come and relax. This is me for, for 12 hours. Like, you do realize I said 11 p.m., right? This yeah, it's not a problem. So I'm thinking, oh, what is wrong with you? Fast forward now. So now I'm now having like, it was like a, a closing dinner party by the poolside. So this is probably about 8 p.m. now. And then like, so bearing in mind, he's been there since 11 a.m. So this is like in the evening now. We've gone out, come back, having our dinner party. He comes downstairs and he was like, and I can see a change in his face. Like, he's vexed now. He's like, Jeff, I need to talk to you. I'm like, yeah, I'm hosting, I'm doing a dinner party here kind of thing, innit? He said, I need to talk to you right now. And I think, okay, I don't like bringing business in front of consumers. So I'm like, fine, I'll go upstairs. So I went upstairs to the lobby now. And then he was like, he didn't even give me a chance to speak. He was like, okay, right, you're taking me for a boy, yeah? Bearing in mind, he's probably about <laughs> 10 to 15, 15 years older than me. I'm 20, how does I the time? 10 years ago. I'm about 23, 24 at the time. He's easy about 40, yeah? He's like, all right, yeah, okay, you think I'm a small boy? You think I'm a small boy? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, what? <laughs> so it's just one of those situations. It was a movie. It went from zero to 100 like that. So I'm like, what's within the space of a second, Evan? I see two four by fours armed police jeeps coming into the compound of the hey. hotel. <laughs> I'm like, rah. Like, and then he's like, he's on the phone. He's like, yeah, 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 I'm inside with him. I'm inside with him. I'm thinking, him. Like, what? <laughs> you my brother like so as he's coming in now, he's like yeah he's over there like I said these are armed police they've got the strap the long thing with them and everything I'm thinking like God I'll come to that in Ghana <laughs> so as he's doing that luckily my business partner has arrived early because I told my business partner to get there for 11 because that's when we're going to do the meeting so my business partner has come a little early because I remember I said to him come down and let's have a meal all together with everyone before they go so he's come now my business partner again he's probably about 20 years older than me and he's done a lot of business in Ghana etc so he turned around and said to him, he turned around and said to my, the tour guide, this him, are you mad? Like, are you actually mad? This him, because I'm a, I'm younger, is that why you're now trying to exercise your authority like that? So then after this, he was like, no, 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 it wasn't even that. These are my, the police are my friends. And we're like, what? So police just travel with sirens and guns, like, because they're your friends. I was like, you know what? I'm not even gonna bother having a meeting with you. So I didn't even argue with him. I just went, got the money. I'm like, here's the money. Because I already calculated what we owe you. I know the balance. Here's the envelope. And his mouth dropped. His mouth dropped. So when we came back now, I said to my business partner, we're changing the talk. We're not using everything. Listen, to be fair, Jeff, we can do, which is not a problem. But with Ghana, it's almost like that, that they say, the devil you know is better than the angel you don't know. Mm. And plus, you've done that. You've made him look stupid. And more importantly, you, he's shown, you've shown that, right, like, I'm not one of those guys. Fast forward now. We then had this conversation maybe 2018. We did, imagine we didn't speak, we kept him on every single year he was serving us. We never had this conversation until 2018. And he was like, Jeff, you know what? From working from you, I was able to pay for my, my wedding, move out of my house, mm. like, you know, start my family. 
And what had happened a year before you had come, some people from America, travel group from America had hired me and the same thing they said, oh yeah, come this evening, we'll pay you. They left, went back to America, I never heard from them again. Bruh. Meanwhile, I've the one that outsourced the coaches for them. So not only have you not paid me for my services, but coach companies that I've given my word to, I was in debt, this month I was in debt. So this money that I was relying on you, I had to get it at all costs. And I was like, okay, right. And like I said, till this day, like I said, this guy, he's probably near to mid 40s, maybe 50 now even. But he's the most loyal person on my team. And he and when when he started working for me, he'll do work like a week in advance. Now in February, he's calling me up saying, "Okay, right, we're going to take the guy." So I'm thinking, and now I don't do anything regarding the tours, the coaches. People don't even know me; they know him. So I do less work. He, only, he people think it's his trip, <laughs> and I'm like, "Ross, okay." Going back to what we we're saying about the sixty percent, he's someone that I get one hundred and ten percent from. But I realized in order to get that one hundred and ten percent, I had to go through that in order to get one hundred ten percent, and I'm so grateful for him. So again, that's a a, a situation that's that sick. happened in the motherland. That's sick. That's mm. sick right? You know, we, we could talk forever, but I think we can. about Ghana, the motherland. We ain't even spoke too much about Ghana itself, man. Mm. I think we could just go on forever, man. But we got to wrap up. Yeah, no, it's been a pleasure. Sometimes it's been a pleasure. So. I've really enjoyed this conversation. Ah, it's too. good, man. I've enjoyed it as well, man. Mm. Um, just last question before we wrap up. Mm -hmm. What's the next chapter in your own story? Uh, next chapter, next chapter. Um, I'm working on something. I can't disclose it just yet. Um working on something at the moment but next chapter i think i'm just really just focusing on on growing what i currently have um not moving too fast never too slow so you know with the hosting um the travel group and the restaurant just really focusing on those things and just letting them do what they're really called to do like each of those things have a meaningful factor into raising a profile of my plan so just really getting them to do what they have to do and making i want it just to whatever i've done to go down in history in a positive light for people to be like, oh yeah, I went to Ghana 20 years ago because I went to that restaurant or that restaurant changed the narrative of Ghanaian dining experience or that travel group made me fall in love with Ghana after, you know, this parent passed away. That's the type of impact I'm, I want to create. Um, so really just focusing on what I've already so started and just keep watering those, those seeds. That's it, man. That's yeah. it. And you're, you and your team are definitely raising the profile of Ghana. Mm. I feel like there's probably a lot of diaspora that have interacted with you in, over the years in whatever capacity mm. who would never even considered Ghana in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, Ghana's and become the hotspot now. Yeah, literally, man. So, like, hats off, man. Big Thank up to you and the team, man. Like, respect the work you and you guys are doing, man. Thank you. Uh, just before we wrap up, mm -hmm. uh, if people want to keep up to date with yourself, you know, what you're doing, uh, how can they do so? And then, yeah, if you've got anything, last words you want to say as well. Um, I think just I think my, mine is the same thing in terms of my social media. It's kind of just generic. We have a website, uh, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, HarmK, H-A-R-M-K-A-Y. You'll find that all across all social media platforms and it kind of just keeps up to date with what I'm doing, what I've got coming up, etc. Um, and yeah, man, for my thing, just chase greatness. That's all I encourage people to do, like chase greatness and everyone's definition of greatness is different. Like greatness could just be between you and your family. It doesn't have to be the wide world and 20,000 people on TikTok. It could just be between you and your sibling. It could be between you and your mum. It could be between you and your best friend that you need to amend that relationship. So just chase greatness at the end of the day. That's it, man. Yeah. That's it. Nice. Thank you. Thank you very much Thank for coming you, to the Tevin. podcast once Thank again. You. Enjoy speaking with you. Mm. And for everybody listening in, this is 1000 Voices. We had the amazing Harm K on. And for now, people, we're out. <laughs>